Welcome to Diverse, the podcast for the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and SWE's blog all together at altogether.swe.org. Are you taking full advantage of your SWE membership? Your membership grants you access to SWE Advanced Learning for career and life. Your membership unlocks free and discounted on-demand content 24 hours a day from around the world. The SWE Advanced Learning also has live learning. With multiple tracks, Advance offers something for every career and every stage of your career. SWE's many offerings feature subject matter experts from a wide variety of thought leaders in STEM and leadership. When you want to skill up, turn to Advance first. Access learning at advancelearning.swe.org. Hi, I'm Dana Johnson, President-Elect of the Society of Women Engineers and Emerging Technology Programs and Operations Leader at GE Gas Power. Welcome to Diverse, a SWE podcast. Please remember to subscribe. I'm joined today by Sarah Schonauer, winner of the hit Netflix show, Baking Impossible. Sarah is the Vice President of Education and Engagement at LightEye, where she helps lead a team of lighting enthusiasts who tell empowered stories about light. Sarah brought her engineering skills and passion for design to the show Baking Impossible, where she became a baconeer. Sarah, I am so excited about this podcast today with you. I myself would like to consider that I am an aspiring baconeer, and I've been a huge fan of the show since I first saw it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. It's so exciting to be here. Thanks so much for the invite. First of all, on behalf of SWE, I would like to congratulate you on winning Baking Impossible with your teammate, Rodolfo. I'm sure I am not the first. I hope I'm not the last to congratulate you, but somewhere in the middle. Can you walk us through a little bit about how you ended up flying out to LA for this show, especially in the middle of the pandemic? And I'm not sure that all of our listeners know, but this recording happened in 2020. So tell us about that journey. Yeah, it was pretty bizarre. I mean, I think everyone has the pandemic was really weird story and getting, you know, slid into the pandemic has always been odd for everyone. But, you know, yeah, there I was sitting on my couch trying to figure out the work from home situation. It was March. So it was really just the beginning. And I found an email that I thought was spam, but it had gotten through my firewall that basically said, hey, you're interesting. We'd love to put you on a TV show. Are you interested? (laughs) How can how could you not be right? (laughs) But I was like, this is bizarre. And so I kind of I tried to make them prove themselves and they did. And next thing I know, I was going through the casting process. Oh, my goodness. Can you tell me a little bit about the casting process? Yeah, for sure. It was all remote. And so it was a series of, you know, you have to submit basically a portfolio of yourself, you know, the things that you're into. They were interested in video and, you know, photos and all kinds of things. And so I called home and I was like, hey, go through the scrapbook, grab the OM photos (laughs) and like send the ones from, you know, when we were building sets in, you know, middle school and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I put together you know, uh, the portfolio and and went through the process, which is several step, you know, interview type thing. And then eventually they said, you're coming out to Los Angeles. And <laughs> I got ready to quarantine and then jumped on the plane. And uh, I'd be remiss if I don't say this because my friend Brandy from the show loves to make fun of me for it. But 
when you get on the plane and you're wearing one of those face shields, you should peel the film off of it because <laughs> a much clearer and less foggy experience on the plane. But it turned out Rodolfo and I were made for each other because he, too, traveled all the way coast to coast wearing the film on his face shield. So, so we both felt like we were starting from the same spot. Now, was this a I'm assuming a face shield that they provided to you and clearly left out the very important instruction that I'm sure you would have followed to peel that film off? I don't know, Dana, if I can blame anybody but myself. I mean, <laughs> I mean ironically, you say clearly, I'm sure there was something on there that said you can peel this. But in any oh my case, goodness. you know, we made it. We made it. We did OK. So when in the process did you find out that you would be paired up with Rodolfo? So it was pretty much right when we got there and, you know, we met, I had been introduced to one other person that I didn't actually pair with. And then they put me with him and I'll tell you, it was like, you know, it was great. We really clicked right away. And I could tell that he has a real passion for life and also wants to have fun. And that's a great combination. He's also super competitive and I happen to be competitive. And <laughs> so we played well off of each other in that way, too. When you showed up in L.A., did the producers understand who was getting paired with each other or was that more fluid during the process? I think just like everything else in reality TV, there's a lot that's happening behind the scenes. So, yes, I think the producers had a bunch of you know ideas about who would be entertaining on television, who would work well together, you know, maybe all these different things that go into making a program. When we got to L.A., we had to quarantine and so oh we goodness. got to meet our partners virtually for the first time. But oh. it was, you know, so when we finally came out of quarantine and let me just set the scene for you. It's a residence in. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it's bad, but it's a residence in. And we all are a little bit. Uh, we have PTSD from the music when you turn on the television because it's, oh, it's, no. <laughs> it takes you right back there. But, you know, we overlooked the pool so we could pine for the pool while we were quarantining. But when we finally were let out and we were able to all be a group together, it was really exciting because, you know, this was a once in a lifetime experience for pretty much all of us. And we were also in a, in a bubble. So we could really only socialize with our competition who became our friends. It was a really fun moment to finally be released, meet everybody and finally see Rodolfo face to face. No, that's awesome. I have done plenty of Zoom calls, I would say even before the pandemic, where you see people's picture on the screen, but meeting them in person is so much different and so much more rewarding. Yeah. I mean, we're like, are we three-dimensional, four-dimensional, five-dimensional <laughs> beings? You know, like not everything comes through over Zoom. Now, I assume with the baking half of the teams, they did a very similar screening process with send us pictures of your desserts and tell us why you're interested in baking and what you've done. Is that true? I'm guessing so. Yeah. I mean, most of the bakers, if you look them up, have incredible accounts on Instagram just showing off their work and they're all just phenomenal creative artists. And so my guess, my understanding is that they were reached out to in the same way. And basically people said, your stuff is awesome. Do you want to come do that on you know, the global stage? No, that's amazing. I'm definitely going to have to look up some of them on Instagram. I have two little boys whose birthday is coming up and I've got some lofty requests for birthday cakes. Oh, if yeah. You have, if you have any idea on how to make an ISO malt, Harry, not Harry Potter. Harry Potter is my other child's birthday. Indiana Jones skull from the last Indiana Jones. My soon to be five year old desperately wants an Indiana Jones themed party. 
I'm struggling with this. I need to do a little more Instagram searching and Googling Dana, and everything else. Let me give you a tip. Isomalt can be poured into molds. A mold. But Get it's the yourself weird head. a skull mold. Just go what online and look for it. You'll find something cool. Have you seen it? It's like the alien skull. It's got a big bulge in the back. I'm going to have to do some like shaping of the mold. Okay. Well, I feel like you could do that. I think I can. I think we'll figure this out. Tell me a little bit about when you actually got to meet with the different team members, how it felt, because it sounds like leading up to that, you really only had Zoom interaction with Rodolfo. Yeah. I mean, to be really honest with you, my first interactions with the team, with the other teammates and the the, um, the other Baconeers was kind of sheer terror. I mean, oh, no. Uh, to be really honest, I mean, if I can put you in my frame of mind, you know, I'm a lighting designer who was bored during the pandemic and then somehow said yes to going on to this competition show. And as I started thinking more and more about the types of things that they they let us know, like you might be, you know, you might want to look into robotics and coding. You might want to oh, look no. into these types of things. You know, they were giving us some hints. So we didn't fall flat on our faces, but the hints were making me nervous, you know, because right. I didn't have any background in coding or you know, the furthest I ever got with robots was like a Lego kit when I was a kid. So like right. it was, I started to get really nervous. And then when we were in our quarantine period, they had given us a couple like online trainings that you could do if you wanted to pass the time. And so like you could jump on a Zoom call and learn some, you know, solid works and that kind of thing, because we were going to have access to 3D printers, et cetera, et cetera. And so I jumped on one of these calls thinking I was you know, going to learn something. What ended up happening was I started seeing these people and then I wrote their names down and then I Googled oh, no. them. <laughs> no. And that's when the dread really sat in because, and I, I just have high esteem for every single one of these engineers. They're all brilliant in their own way. And you know how the internet really showcases <laughs> the wonderful parts of you. <laughs> you know, I just was like, what the heck am I doing here? And was terrified, honestly, to compete with these folks. So instead of learning, you had a huge intimidation factor play. Indeed. I still know nothing really about SolidWorks. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I don't either. And all of a sudden, my baconeering fears are materializing as I'm a civil engineer by degree. I don't really code. My, my husband is a software engineer and God bless him. I could not do that. I could not do that. I'm sure there are plenty of people that really love that challenge. I don't know SolidWorks. It's been forever since I touched MATLAB. I don't really know robotics. To your point, I think all I did in college was we had a Lego robotics thing that was programming in NQC, which is not even C++. It's almost there. And you had to get this robot through a course that you built. But that was the last time I touched anything close to robotics. Dana, you would have been awesome on the show. That's what it was. <laughs> you just, just add like, cake. Exactly. And I mean, who doesn't love cake? So I just feel like you almost have to play to your strengths in that situation, right? What was it about your lighting engineering background that you could really use in the show? Well, you know, I think it starts from before lighting came into it. It starts from the, you know, sort of engineering mindset, which I was introduced to very young. You know, I'm blessed with a mom that is just super creative and exposed me to all kinds of cool things from, you know, contributing to building neighborhood playgrounds to, you know, she coached me in Odyssey of the Mind, which I think is now called Destination Imagination. But like, if you're listening and you've got kids that are into this kind of stuff, check that out because it really teaches you problem solving and just this idea of being curious and 
thinking creatively about, you know, what you're looking at. And, and if you tweak this, what happens? And if you do this, what happens? And sort of that iterative mindset of, you know, figuring out problems. And so that was, you know, the first thing I drew from, you know, starting from deep meditation of problem solving of my immediate situation, which was terror. But, you know, eventually, you know, you mentioned C++ and MATLAB and I'm smiling and, and laughing along because I took all of one class in college at Penn State for that. But it was what I needed for the robot coding. And I did draw from some of those things, the understanding of the logic and sequencing and things like that. So I think a lot of that was useful. And the other piece that I, I think came from my background in engineering and specifically in lighting design is this idea of collaboration. In lighting, you know, you're working with this medium that is basically invisible until it interacts with something else. And so it's a great metaphor for how you have to act as a lighting designer. You know, you need to understand the rest of the project team very well. You need to understand the architect's vision of how something is supposed to feel and, and function. You need to understand how the interior designer is going to express the space with materials and finishes. So, and then the electrical engineer who's going to help your vision come to life, let alone if it's outside with the landscape and blah, 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 blah. Right, so the, right, right. The, the point is you need to understand how to communicate and collaborate. And I think um, that was one of the things that Rodolfo and I had, you know, going for us is that we were very willing to collaborate and team up and draw from each other's backgrounds and really test. And he was willing to spend some of our time, you know, trying things out that maybe were coming from left field from me. <laughs> but, you know, I was like, listen, I really feel like, you know, my gut's telling me this is a good way to go. And that was a really, you know, that worked out really well for us. I've heard people say in the past that they go into engineering because they don't want to work with people. And it's not a ton of people, but some people seem to think that it's a little bit more of a, you can sit down and crunch numbers and do your job without having to interact a whole lot. But that is so not the case in the real world, to your point. There's so much teamwork that goes on. So I appreciate hearing about how Rodolfo was flexible and working with you. But I, I have a question about Rodolfo, because I think everybody has some buried engineering skills that they don't even realize are engineering. So what sort of skills did he bring to the team from an engineering perspective that you could leverage? Well, you know, it's kind of funny. Rodolfo was my was the golden ticket with the robot challenge because he actually had some coding background as well. Really? Um, yeah, he was a computer programmer when he was in Brazil before he came to the United States. And I don't think it was something that he felt that he was going to, you know, really launch when he came here. He said that it you know, wasn't making him feel as passionate. He wasn't finding a job, et cetera, et cetera. And he got moved into the, you know, into the baking world. But he, <laughs> you know, when I was coding this thing and here I am being like, I know I'm right. I've coded this correctly and the <laughs> damn thing isn't working. And I don't know why it's not responding. And all he did was hit it a couple times more. You know, the controller that we were using, he hit it twice and I had just hit it once. And I said, it didn't work because I hit the one time and he hit it three or four times because he, you know, he was like, well, maybe it just hasn't picked up yet. It hasn't uptake. And he was the one that helped us realize that our code was perfectly fine. And I was driving myself nuts trying to figure out what I had done wrong in that department. So he brought just a different, a fresh perspective, but he did have some actual, you know, trained engineering skills. I think on the other side, the sort of more inherent ones that you're kind of talking about are more of the just design and again, problem solving. When he gets stuck with something, he doesn't throw it out, really. He just pivots a little bit. And he didn't, it's funny, he didn't know the word pivot when, oh, no. <laughs> when we met together. And I kept saying uh, it. Apparently, he never watched Friends. Exactly. Well, if you watch the show, you'll know he's a Seinfeld fan. But 
Okay. I kept saying pivot to him and he's like, Sarah, what is this word you keep using? <laughs> and I'm, I basically told him that someday I have to give him a t-shirt that says pivot because that was our saving grace. <laughs> oh my goodness. That must have been a little bit of a blessing in disguise though, with him having that computer programming background. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it wasn't something that like jumped right out at us, but him being able to sit next to me and just sort of validate that, like, no, this looks right to me. Like, I, you know, we're both kind of looking at this fresh and, you know, it was very helpful. So it definitely it was the thing that got us to the next level. And that's one of the things about teamwork, at least for me, is sometimes somebody just saying, hey, calm down a bit. Let's look at this with fresh eyes instead of my usual let's ram through and get this done. And to your point, maybe that robotic piece just didn't have a chance to download it. But having somebody else tell you like, hey, wait, calm down is huge in that moment. Absolutely. You know, we are, you know, at our core, very social human creatures, you know, and so doing anything solo doesn't usually make a ton of sense. And so I was so grateful that this was a partner competition and so grateful that I got paired with somebody that got me. Did you know going in that it was going to be a partner competition? Yes, they were very upfront okay. right away that, that that's what, how it was going to go. That's part of the reason I thought it was interesting. And also, I'm not really a baker. So right. I was like, well, I hope there's someone taking care of that part. <laughs> no, that's definitely valid. Well, it's clearly obvious that I'm a pretty big fan of the show. So I have a ton of questions going through my mind. I know we don't have an infinite amount of time, but let's go through and see what all you can answer about the burning questions that I have. Sure thing. I know a number of our members have questions too. I've even pulled a few that we kind of virtually watched it together and would catch up on by text on the different episodes after we watched them. So you've got a wide variety of questions coming your way. Starting off with when you got to the show, did you know who the host and the judges were going to be? Or was that a little bit more of a surprise with a, a little bit of starstruck factor? Definitely the latter. We did not know. Who oh, the, my goodness. We didn't know the name of the show. I mean, we are you serious? We did not know. We knew the premise and they had okay. a working title, but we did not know who the host. We didn't know there would be a host. We didn't. So <laughs> when Justin Willman showed up and I mean, everybody, when they all showed up, we were all like, oh, my goodness. Like, you know, the whole cast was just like, why do we know their faces? And there's immediate Googling as soon as we had our phones again. <laughs> and, you know, but. It was awesome, but definitely we didn't know ahead of time. Now, you said when you had your phones again, did you have to stash them when you got to site? Yes. Every day we had to put our phones in phone jail. And then you couldn't even Google. No, no, we didn't have access to the Internet or anything when we were on the show. So you had to be, you know, it was all sort of in the moment. But yeah, we showed up in our vans. I mean, we literally couldn't go anywhere other than the hotel and the, you know, soundstage that we were on, which was in downtown LA. So we had this cavalcade of of, uh, vans that would take us in the morning and we'd go there and do our COVID testing, put our phones in jail and go on set for, you know, sometimes nine, 10 hours. It was Yeah. Some of those challenges were very long. How did you make your way through those very long days? A lot of coffee for sure. (laughs) I actually, I can't complain. They really fed us well. And if we needed things, you know, like we needed water, if we needed coffee, needed an energy drink or something, they would definitely bring that to you. They were great. But and yeah, I, I mean, a lot of saw any of like, I don't remember seeing anybody stop to drink or eat. That's the magic of editing. <laughs> I mean, don't forget, there were 10 hours. We had to stop to drink and eat. And, that, you know, that's fair. Bio and breaks and things. Exactly. <laughs> 
So when you got to the set each day, did you know your missions going in or was it really as much of a surprise as it was to us when we were watching the segue to the next episode? There was We did not know that we were going to be running from mission to mission and hitting that button and going into everything. It was, you know, there was a lot of adrenaline. That's what I was going to say when you asked me what we what got us through. Adrenaline is what gets you through <laughs> in that situation. And, you know, I think a lot of us were thriving on sort of the the nature of being really spontaneous and in the moment and just, you know, challenged and do what you can with what's in front of you. That's a really exciting challenge. It's a really exciting challenge no matter what. I like to take that approach to life. You mentioned that there was that adrenaline going from mission to mission. Was there downtime between the missions or was it like we saw where you finished up a mission, you found out who won and who was going home and you went straight to figure out the next mission? I don't want to ruin the magic of television, but I have to be somewhat (laughs) honest that we did not go completely straight from mission to mission without showering or changing our clothes. (laughs) I got to tell you, Dana, that is easily the number one question that the Internet has to offer is, why, oh, why wouldn't they let you change your clothes? That and is a fantastic they did. question. <laughs> they did let oh, us thank change goodness. our clothes. No, they told us to bring three sets of our clothes when we were coming out. And they gave us laundry service throughout the week. So we always had fresh clothes. So those of you who are worrying about that, can you know, <laughs> put that to, to rest. I will share that because, you know, I was on my feet and where normally most of the day when I'm working from home, I am not on my feet. I started losing some weight. And so I had to have my wife keep sending me out new pants. And so by the time, (laughs) by the time we finally ended, I had more than the three sets of clothes. Let's just put it that way. And I I had fun packing coming home. That's hilarious. You mentioned losing weight, which just sounds like an amazing diet plan. However, it might not be. I have this burning question. I really want to know what happened with all of the desserts that were made because some of these were huge. What did you do with all the cake? You know, that was one of the, I kind of had a little reservation about it as it was happening. I'm like, oh my God, this is so amazing. And yet, you know, food scarcity is a real thing and hunger is one of the issues in the world that are still on our to-do list. So it was hard to watch it. And one of the things that the production team told us was that in non-COVID times, there's usually a lot of coordination between homeless shelters and places to kind of get that food out. But because of COVID, I understand a lot of it did have to actually just be disposed of. I will say that when things went off stage, that was our chance to taste everything. Nice. (laughs) So excellent. We definitely had opportunities to, you know, scoop as we were coming on and off stage. So we certainly didn't let everything go to waste. Good. Now, did you have a favorite dessert that somebody made or do you not care? You don't want to taint all of us to go buy only this person's dessert. No, I, I would never want to do that one way or the other. And I really got to taste more of Rodolfo's than anything else. But okay. I, w- I would definitely point you. He has a business uh, and I would point you towards checking his stuff out because, you know, he sends things all over the country. And oh, well, um, that's good to know. Yeah, exactly. So if you're in a pinch, you know, you can get one of his frozen cakes. But uh, <laughs> it, I did get to taste a lot. And I have to say, carrot cake is my favorite. And so... One of the episodes, he made a carrot cake and it was fantastic. So that would have Have, to be the one. Have you ordered any since then? Have they showed up on your front porch? So I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but I can tell a funny little (laughs) story. So Rodolfo decided to come visit me for the premiere. And he... Oh, that's awesome. It's more than awesome. It was amazing. He biked from 
Times Square to my doorstep in Boston. And he in tow had one of his cakes for us to celebrate with. And because they're frozen cakes, they were, you know, it was thawing the whole way. But he was because this is Rodolfo. And I was like, okay, so, you know, I didn't know you were a big biker. He's like, well, I'm kind of a biker. And I'm like, well, how big of a biker are you? Because it's a long way from New York to Boston. And he, he said, you know, I've done like four to six hours longest. So I was nervous, you know, that I might need to run to U-Haul and go pick him up somewhere. But he was more nervous that he might lose the cake. So he sent one (laughs) from, you know, his warehouse to my house just in case he had a spill and something happened with it. So he could have his social media moment of opening this cake up. But unfortunately, what ended up happening was he mistakenly sent a couple cakes. And so for several days, we had cake showing up. And my wife, Chantel, I was traveling for work at the time and she was like, Honey, another cake came today. <laughs> another cake came. I mean, we're running out of space in the freezer at this point. So, anyway, so yes, suffice it to say that you can definitely get one of his cakes, and I have had them, and they're delicious. And potentially undo the weight loss from running around and being on your feet the whole time. That is a danger that I, I would be remiss if we didn't just mention that. Yes. It was a risk worth taking, though, I'm sure. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't, I jokingly am, but it's true. I didn't have a sweet tooth before I went on the show. Really? And now I, I have a sweet tooth. I have a whole sweet set. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. You just, I think, didn't know what you were missing with having really good sweets. Clearly. That's the truth. I, and I got, I went right to the top. So now, now I guess I'm a little bit biased. Okay. Well, I want to talk a little bit about some of the missions In the very first episode that you did, you all had to make votes. Now, I've got a a fellow SWE member that was brainstorming this with me, and she asked if there was any reason that you all didn't use like a hollowed out watermelon or coconut. Were there restrictions on that mission that we didn't know about? No. In fact, a hollowed out watermelon sounds like a really great place to start. And I'm like, why don't (laughs) we try that? We did have certain things that we had to take into consideration, like the length requirement. And so we did think about some some other, you know, like, for example, we were fascinated with bell peppers for a whole minute. And uh, (laughs) we actually did take a look at coconuts, but we couldn't find a way to sort of get the coconuts to lash together and stay in a way Mm. that we could build off of the coconuts. So you don't see a lot of the iteration of the testing that happened. And You know, we've been talking about Rodolfo and I getting together and building the boat again because we were so darn close. (laughs) I have a special place in my heart for, you know, the nautical engineering elements because my whole family are sailors. And I think I really let them down that the boat didn't float. But, you know, it ended up being that we had too much decoration on it. And if I if you watch the second episode, you see me lay down the law with Rodolfo. I'm going to make you make this light. And uh, that's where that was coming from. But I would love to get another crack at it because we were close, but we, you know, we just, we got a crack and then we couldn't come back from that. We are not stopping you. We would happily provide some coverage, at least by, you know, YouTube or something, if you wanted to do that. Oh my gosh, let's just set saying. that up. Let's just set saying. that up. I love that idea. And I, I need to be redeemed. So I might have to take you up on it. All right. We'll see what we can do on our end for sure. What was your favorite mission? You know, it's kind of a toss up. I really had a lot of fun during the, the putt-putt mission because okay. we finally got to do something as a group and we weren't really competing. And 
you know, on the off stage, half of this, again, you're only socializing with this group. So we were able to go down to the fire pit at night and have a few drinks. And, the, you know, that was it. So we're becoming friends a little bit, you know, with these folks. And so it was really fun to do something as a team. And I, I just loved our theme. And we just had so much fun putting that one together. So that one was great. And, you know, I think once we had immunity, it was really it was so smooth sailing that we were just able to have a lot of fun. However, I had a blast during the shake table one because I just felt really confident that we were going to do a great job on that one. And I loved our theme on that one, too. So that one was we were in our zone for sure. I will be honest, the shake table was probably either my first or second favorite. But again, civil engineer have worked with shake tables. That was amazing. I Part of me can't believe that they made you do that. But the other part of me watching it was just thinking, this is amazing. This is so much fun. And I still remember, fun fact on the side here, we made this like, instead of family movie night, we would watch family episodes of Baking Impossible. I love but again, it. I've mentioned my husband's an engineer. I'm an engineer. And I have two kids that have kind of watched me grow up through my little baking situation. I'm definitely nowhere close to professional, but I make their cakes, as I indicated. So they sometimes watch various baking shows with me. And it became just something that we really loved doing as a family. But I remember watching my older son's face as they would start the shake table. And he would just get so animated watching it that it was hilarious. Even without that aspect of it, I still thought it was probably one of my favorite challenges by far. It was when they opened up that door and it was going. And I, <laughs> you know, I went to, like I said, I went to Penn State and they have an awesome research lab that has a, a large shake table. And so I actually, when they opened it up, I was like, huh, that's not as big as I imagined it might be. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, then they were really letting it loose and it was like, wow, this is going to be fun. And I love hearing that you were sharing that with your family and that your kids and that your whole family was enjoying it. I mean, that's got to be one of the best sort of outcomes of this entire experience is the outpouring of love from all over the world, literally, of people that either are engineers and appreciate a new take on engineering or didn't think that that was something that they might do. And their kids are really interested now and, you know, just kind of have their eyes opened a new way to what engineering could be. And I think that's one of the best blessings of the show. And I give Andrew Smith, who is the creator and, of course, one of the judges, all the credit in the world to putting it together, because I really do think gave people another flavor to sort of associate this very sort of left brain thing. It's it's not, you know, there's a lot more there. No, I, I agree completely. I feel like this is a great audience to be listening to your stories because we have so many SWE members who bake on the side or at least enjoy baking enough to appreciate what went into this show. So I, I mentioned I've texted with friends and whatnot. A lot of these are SWE members that were watching this real, quote unquote, real time with me and just following this and in love with the purpose of the show and what was happening even if it felt over the top. I want to jump back to your mini golf challenge, though. I know you talked a little bit about it as possibly one of your favorites. How was it working with two other teams? I know you mentioned that you were getting to be friends with these people, but what I really want to get out of this from you was you had to find a way to interact with these other teams that you've been competing against this whole time. How was it when you actually had to work together with them? Well, for us, I think it was it was pretty easy. I mean, when you consider who we were paired with, so we had Brandy and Manuka, right? Mm -hmm. And then we had Joey and Mario. And 
First of all, if there's anybody besides Rodolfo that I've come away with the show and just have a really special relationship, it's Brandy. And we're very good friends and talk all the time. And that awesome. was, you know, we were two doors down from each other in the hotel. <laughs> so nice. we, we had a lot of time to get to know each other. And so finally being able to do something as a group was wonderful. And it was an easy switch to just flip into. And Joey and Mario were wonderful and hilarious and very open to, you know, sort of criticism and ideas and bouncing ideas back and forth. You know, you see me for some reason, they showed me walking around like a project manager being like, all right, what's yours going to do? What's yours going to do? But they, you know, they were, everybody was really willing to pull together, you know, and you end up seeing them. They decided to show the storyline that we weren't as cohesive as the other team. And, you know, it's all sort of in the eye of the beholder, but it really was easy for our, our group to come together and say, it's a lot better with six minds instead of just two. That's great to hear. Definitely the value of teamwork. And I actually not that long ago rewatched that episode. And I remember seeing your, you had like the two paths with the seven deadly sins, right? And I remember thinking that was, it was just really cool the way that you, you and Rodolfo did that, but definitely fun, a fun challenge for us as the audience to watch and, and try and see the dynamics of people that had previously competed and now needed to work together, which I think is a really important life lesson. Exactly. Well, and it, when one person says we're all going to have a group hug, it's kind of hard to not, you know, <laughs> at least try to get on board. Exactly. Switching gears a little bit here. What was the most difficult mission? Well, you know, I do kind of right in my mind. What pops up first is, again, that robot mission, because I just had it in my mind that for some reason I couldn't do that. I had just made that story up. That wasn't a skill that I was going to be able to overcome. And I think I really got in my own head quite a bit about that. I found that once we did do that and once we had done it, I was like, wow, okay, I can do more than I thought I could. And then, you know, then we really kind of got on a roll. I will tell you that when they told us about the car challenge, (laughs) I was, I bet my, I mean, my jaw really did hit the floor. I was like, you got to be freaking kidding me. And (laughs) again, like if you go back and watch that, you can really see in my body language. I feel like I'm about to hurl (laughs) because it's like (laughs) they were very clear that it was a full size car and they were going to give us a chassis, but that was it. And that's, you know, that's not in, again, my quote unquote skill set, but (laughs) then you apparently learned how to build the skill set. And mostly my skill sets apparently are built out of popcorn. So, but uh, (laughs) it was, that one was a big mental challenge as well. Just sort of getting over the, like, just the processing of what they were telling us and just getting into, well, all right, what's the first step? Okay. We need a strong base. We need something that's going to be able to hold a lot of weight. Okay. How can we do that? And then you see me lean on my, you know, my old skills of like things like carpentry and things like that, that I know I can do well and just went with. Mm -hmm. No, I, that was probably my second favorite episode after the shake table and purely from like a shock factor of, oh my goodness, I can't believe they're making you all do this. Well, it's when they, you know, first we're going to build a car. Okay. But then we're going to crash it into a wall and you have <laughs> to have a crash test dummy that somehow survives this and they're going to survive by something edible. It's, I mean, it's ridiculous. And at the same time, it's like, okay. And we're going to all get into a very professional mindset and be like, how can we attack this challenge? So every now and then it was possible to sort of like take a step back and look at the just silliness of what was happening. And then, you know, okay, wait, we got to get back into this and, you know, get competitive. But during the car episode, you might get a kick out of this. You know, we had some time where you don't see this in the show, but they actually gave us in the last two episodes, some helpers 
that when we were on screen, you know, they had some like an hour or so where they could come and help where we knew that they weren't going to be showing that part on screen and could, you know, move things along. And during one of those times when the helpers were out there, they started cranking dance music through the studio and everybody finally let loose and just had a blast for a few months. And it was this just moment of like, okay, yeah, we're doing something ridiculous. And then we went (laughs) and then the cameras came back and we went back into it. But there were moments that were very unrealistic in in our reality TV experience. (laughs) I really appreciate a good dance break when you're doing something serious. It helps get your mind back where you need your mind to be. It's definitely, it can help break some energy and create some fresh, you know, vibe. So put that in the tip log, you know, <laughs> for things to do to freshen things up. Excellent. I might start scheduling it into my work day. Dance break. <laughs> A question that we had, which especially when we start talking about some of the car situation and getting helpers and things like that, did you have, you and Rodolfo, did you have complete autonomy over deciding what your design would look like or did you have heavy influence from the producer or did, how did that really work? No, I mean, I would say they gave us pretty much free reign. I mean, one of the constraints we had was a budget that each episode, they gave us some kind of mad money that if we needed to get, you know, for example, Taylor needed a bubble machine, you know? (laughs) So if you wanted to have certain things or if you were going to work with them, you know, with a material that wasn't going to be available in the pantry, then they could go get it. Like when at the end, Rodolfo wanted Cupuasu from Brazil and, you know, that wasn't in the pantry, you know, but we had a, we had a budget where you could get them, where they had some runners and they could go get things. So that was one of the constraints because you had sort of time in terms of like, well, what can get here in a day? Right. <laughs> you right. know, it's not like you can just jump on online and, and, you know, have it overnighted. So that was one of them. But in terms of having like producers tell us what to do and, and sort of guide us, there really wasn't a lot. We did all have like a, a associate production person. I'm, I'm sure I'm botching their title on the <laughs> for it, but really wonderful people on the production team that were assigned to us that were making sure that we were kind of on track, you know, that we had a plan, that we had a concept, that we had, you know, our materials requested in time and things like that. But they weren't saying, hmm, are you thinking about doing this? Or I don't really think that's a winning idea, that kind of thing. They were okay. they were leaving us to our own devices in that way. I appreciate that. I appreciate knowing that. I feel like sometimes on some of these shows, you see the judges walking around. And I know they did this in Baking Impossible. And you wonder how much they're planting into people's head as they're asking questions and making suggestions. Yeah. So I'm glad. Well, I mean, that- I, I'm telling you that because that was my experience. But if any of the other Baconeers have a different one, they should chime <laughs> in in the comments because I'd love to know, too. I, yeah, that'd be great. I hope that they all listen to this and can provide their experience in the comments. That would be awesome. You mentioned that one of your most difficult missions was the robot. And I think that that's really interesting because it was so early in the competition. And I feel like that's a situation where you could let your confidence shake and really influence the outcome of that challenge. How did you push through that? You know, it's a great question, Dana. I I think if you would have asked me before I actually went out to L.A., you know, how I thought we would do and, you know, what I was looking to get out of the experience, I really wasn't expecting to win. You know, I was expecting to have a once in a lifetime chance to go on a Netflix reality TV show and (laughs) maybe, you know, augment the lighting design profession as an engineering, you know, discipline. So people could say, oh, look, that's a thing. Interesting. And maybe think about getting into it. You know, I wanted to have some fun. 
And I didn't expect at all to ever be be the winner, you know? And I think that was really evident in my own thinking with the robot. You know, I kind of was like, well, this is the one I'm going to go out in, you know, (laughs) as I as I walked into the challenge, it was sort of a foregone conclusion. And what ended up happening was everybody was struggling because that, you know, as I mentioned that the kit, it wasn't that if you hit the button, it did the thing. You know, sometimes you got to hit it a couple of times. You know, it's a kid's toy and watching everybody sort of go through that and watching the team dynamics as they struggled and as people tried new things. And, you know, there was a lot of sharing of the you know parts and everything because there's only so many to go around and all that kind of stuff. I realized that we weren't as far behind as I thought and that once we actually were able to make it move and do what it needed to do, you know, it was like, okay, this is, we got some momentum and then it was just kind of like, let's do the best we possibly can with what we've got. You know, it's also funny that in the robot episode, what you don't, another piece you don't see is initially we were challenged to have each robot have a talent and they had to do something. Oh my not, goodness. Not just run an obstacle course, but they like also sing to, and dance. Yeah, exactly. Like sing and dance. Oh my and goodness. So it's funny that you say that because that's what we, we had ours, you know, <laughs> how he was able to beatbox. And so another oh piece gosh. that you don't see that we're spending time doing is, you know, doing the sound engineering and recording the beatbox and everything else and getting him to do that, you know, and lighting programming and all the other stuff. Anyway, the point that please, I'm making please is- Please tell me there's footage of that somewhere. I hope so. I mean, there were definitely cameras, um, <laughs> you know, but when we were seeing everyone accomplish all of these other things and where we were at and noticing that we were still in it, you know, that's when my mind changed about, you know, it doesn't have to be a foregone conclusion that you're out of this. It, you just have to get through this mission. You know, you, right. you just have to not be eliminated, you know? And that was, you know, that was all it took. That's a super important life lesson. You don't always have to be the best. You just have to keep going. Exactly. And sometimes it's going to be the endurance that gets you where you want to go anyway. Absolutely. When did you realize that maybe you could win this all? When did I realize that? You know, it's funny because I think it was in the fashion episode. (laughs) I know that it it didn't look like we did a great job (laughs) in the fashion episode. And, you know, but that was a one that I think Rodolfo and I were very proud of. You know, he did get some feedback that he wasn't doing as much sort of baking pastry stuff. But that was an episode where we were doing a lot together, you know, in terms of coming up with the design and figuring out how to really kind of dive into material science and you know, how do we microwave? What's the best way to microwave a cantaloupe? You know, because <laughs> there are options there. And, you know, it was one that I really, I was like, wow, this is creative. You know, maybe if we had a little more time, the fit and finish could have been better. But I was like, we've got some really interesting ideas here. And I think, you know, I'm watching the rest of the competition disappear and some really strong players had been knocked out. So mm-hmm. I was like, it could be anybody's game. Let's see what happens. That was, I think, in my opinion, the most different challenge that you all had as far as it wasn't a robot. It didn't have to move. It was actually a fashion show, which is just as an engineer, that's a very different thought process for me. Again, it was, and for me, you know, just in my own world, I am not a fashionista. You know, That is (laughs) not who I would consider myself to be. So there, you know, as soon as that one came up, it was like, wow, again, you know, can I do this? But the idea of, you know, creating an outfit. And again, like we got totally lucky. Edwin was amazing. And he showed up and he was like, I'll do anything you want. Like it was perfect. So it really kind of this kind of opportunity, which again is rare. I think that people get a chance to do something like this, but when you throw away all the constraints on the side and you just say, let the creativity flow, just really, it's all about what you've got in your head and what you can put, you know, what you can put together. 
it's fun to see what shows up because again, I wouldn't have known that I, I was going to be able <laughs> to create a samurai skirt somehow. Absolutely. It, it was very creative, but I think it's a good segue to the question I have of what was either the grossest or the weirdest edible item that you worked with, which maybe was in that episode. Well, come on. Really? Do you think that there's anything grosser than pig intestines? I mean, that's pretty gross. That's why I asked. But let's pivot to what there's Rodolfo's favorite word, pivot. What was the weirdest item that you worked with that may still check that box? It might check the box. I mean, the the intestine, you know, I really suggest that anybody that hasn't worked with them, but also likes to eat sausage, maybe just give it a try (laughs) because I think it's important to understand where your food comes from. And somebody watched that show and was like, yeah, how do you think sausage is made, girlfriend? But so that was definitely a weird one. But I mean, some of the other like the Kupuasu is pretty interesting. That was something, you know, I'd never had before. So that was pretty cool. Isomalt in general. I mean, I know it's not that groundbreaking in the baking world, but as an engineer, it was really fun to play with liquid sugar, you know, and all the different, you know, the states of sugar and what it does in different states. I mean, let me give you another example. I mean, the editing is genius in a way on the show because you don't see everything. And there are times where things may be sitting out overnight. And if anybody knows anything about sugar that's uncoated <laughs> and is left in, you know, in the atmosphere, it gets sticky because of what happens with water. And right. it's very interesting if, you know, if you think about things like, you know, we were playing around with sponge candy in one of the episodes. And mm-hmm. there's a reason sponge candy is encased in chocolate when it's sold. <laughs> and now I know why. <laughs> Because, you know, apparently pancakes slide right off of sponge candy if you don't understand that when you leave it uh, out, it's going to get slimy. So I think just in general, you know, it's not that the foods were so weird. It was just that being, you know, interacting and engaging with them in this way um, really opened my eyes to the different properties of food and the way that we engage with them isn't always with our tongue. That's a, an interesting way to think about it. One of the things that our listeners might not know about you is that you're involved in theater. So how did you use that experience to translate into being on reality TV? Well, there's probably a few ways. I mean, um, certainly when we had to present our creations, I was drawing on, you know, public speaking and presentation skills from being on stage and trying to be, you know, trying to sell it a little bit, because that certainly was a part of, you know, getting the judges to understand your concepts. Um, So that was one of them. There's certainly, you know, I was, I started in theater, actually, I started like acting and being, you know, and singing and on stage, but eventually I made my way into the, you know, stage crew side of things, which I absolutely love. And lighting is one that I do, but set design and set construction is something that I got into a little more recently. And that came into play a couple of times, you know, one of the challenges the Rube Goldberg challenge, you know, we're making a, you know, a sort of 3D room set type thing. And a lot of people made up just a plain backboard and we ended up needing that, you know, our idea had sort of a three-dimensional quality to it. So I was drawing from, you know, set design as to how quickly can we make these things stand up and, you know, as few materials as possible and all that kind of stuff. So that certainly came into it too. But I think probably more than anything else is the mentality of theater that the show must go on and you just got to figure it out. And you know, you don't get a second chance in these types of things. So just try to, you know, try to sell the best you possibly can. So that was probably the biggest one. I think that's a great way to think about it and a great way to take that experience from theater and use it in the show. Absolutely. I know you talked a little bit about the magic of editing and what actually made the final cut. 
Is there anything that surprised you or disappointed you that it was not in the final cut? Yeah, I mean, I remember when we watched the first episode, we were, you know, like I said, Rodolfo came to visit. They dropped at midnight Pacific time, which is three in the morning Eastern time. And so we got up and had a pajama party on the couch and and watched the first six that had dropped. And I do remember being pretty shocked at the story that ended up showing up, mostly because, you know, it's again, it's quote unquote air quotes reality TV and it's not real. And so I think one of the things I was most disappointed with was the way that they played up the dynamics of some of the teammates that weren't really as friction filled as they made them seem. And that was a little disappointing for sure, because I think it took away from some of the positive aspects of the show. So that was a little disappointing. And in terms of, like I said, some of the other things that we worked hard on, you know, like, I mean, am I really disappointed that our tank didn't beatbox? I think it's okay, but you know, (laughs) it was surprising that it was so such a part of the moment when it was happening and then didn't show up there. So there's a lot of that. And the other thing I guess that I would say I'm pretty sad about is that we had a really cool lighting element in every single one of our pieces. (laughs) It didn't end up really coming through as strongly as I was hoping, but you know, I promise that I am not complaining with the overall outcome of of what ended up (laughs) happening. I love, of course, that you brought the lighting engineering into every challenge that you had. I think that makes it amazing, but also kudos to you for watching yourself. And I don't blame you for wanting to see the finished product, but that takes a lot to watch yourself when you know you've already done it and then hear your voice and see how you actually look like you move. It's just a, a weird spot to be in. You know, it really is a strange experience. And I think a lot of us have that reaction, even just hearing your voice, you know, because of the way that, you know, sound interacts with our own ears versus others. People are like, no, that's what you sound like. It's like, well, I sound so strange, you know, but Uh this whole experience has really been a journey for me of just sort of self-acceptance. And, you know, I've gotten so much validation in so many ways from it that it's become a lot easier now. And it's now it's funny and fun. And my wife still likes watching it. So every now and then I come home and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I thought I heard my voice. Like, why? Why is this on? <laughs> you know, but there is there's so much more on the good side that was easy to get over that kind of hump of how strange it is to see yourself outside your own body. Absolutely. I don't know that I could walk in and know that somebody else was watching me and be in the same room and just, it would feel weird. You know, it's so weird. I'm one of those people that if I'm struggling with something and somebody's watching me, I'm like, don't look at me. (laughs) Right, right. I I revert to to like a five-year-old, like, don't watch me struggle and fail. And, you know, but for some reason, when you had all of the cameras on you, that somehow disappears. And I probably give credit again to sort of competitiveness and adrenaline. That's like, well, you wanted to do this, so you might as well do it. And you have to sort of get over the fact that you might look, well, who knows what you might look like, but you might look different than what you thought, you know? Maybe that's, that's how that's I reality. get over that. I'm with you. I hate having people watch me like work or whatever. I Maybe I need to figure out how to get over it by being on a TV show. I was going to say by being on a reality TV show, I think we right? should set you up for that. I think that would be awesome. I think you have the credentials. <laughs> I'm not sure if there are credentials for a reality TV show. Let's be honest. You're right. I can guarantee there aren't. I was on <laughs> Oh, come on. You're amazing. (laughs) Speaking of amazing, you do a lot of wonderful stuff. You're now a Baconeer, a term that I don't think any of us knew before the show, but you're also in this amazing role at work and you serve on industry boards and you, as I mentioned before, are in theater. Everybody in SWE always wants to know how you balance all of it. 
Yeah. Plate spinning. I was just having a conversation about this last night. And I think that the way you balance all of it is make sure that you have really good support systems and that you are you know, really in touch with when you're overwhelmed and have good places to recharge the batteries. And that's been another thing that I've been on a journey of self-discovery of <laughs> is when I need to say no and pause things or maybe not right now or yes, but and all those good things. Yes. And that one's mm-hmm. better than yes, but. Um, <laughs> But I really have found that passion is my renewable resource. And when I find things that tap into that passion, it just sort of gets itself done. And when I'm really honest with myself about things that I'm not passionate about, I've just learned to kind of try to shed those a little bit or pivot them out of my life (laughs) a little bit more. And a lot of that just has to do with kind of this awareness of like where my energy is up and where my energy is down and slowing down enough to really be paying attention to that, which has not been easy in my life. But I've learned that that's, that's going to be important for me to master if I want to really accomplish the things that, I, that I'd like to accomplish. I think it's been difficult for everybody in the pandemic, but I completely agree. If I'm baking a cake or if I'm, I'm also a DIY home improvement sort of person, if I've got a project like that that I'm working on, I will be up until like midnight, 1 a.m. I'll be up at the crack of dawn, ready to work on it. If it's something really that really doesn't get me excited, then it's like, oh gosh, I want to stay in bed. So I totally agree with tapping into your passions to recharge and and find your true north and keep going that way. Yeah. And I think it's important to, you know, I'm not saying shirk any duties or responsibilities, but if there are things that aren't, you know, aren't making you light up, like, is there a way to not have to do them? You know, I think I had my, have had my whole life sort of this, maybe this false belief that I just have to do it because I, you know, I got to work hard and I got to get through it. And there's other times where it's like, or (laughs) maybe if you step away, that might, you know, make a space for somebody else who really wants to do that, you know, instead of you slogging through and being a hero for no reason other than, you know, your own perseverance and just learning to kind of assume that other people will step up and take the mantle and making space for that to happen has been another really good lesson for me. I definitely appreciate hearing that. I think sometimes we forget that. And at least myself, I feel like I have to throw it all on my shoulders and figure out how to cross the finish line. And sometimes it does not always have to be me that's crossing the finish line. I can have a few people with me. Exactly. And you know, I know that there are definitely not only women listening, but I think a lot of women have that mentality, you know, that they have to be a super mom, that they have to be a super boss, they have to do it all. And One of the things that we can't forget is that we are, again, social creatures who get a huge kick out of building community and collaborating together when we're actually, you know, in our right spots. So, you know, just, again, being aware of it and making space and sometimes just saying, I don't have the bandwidth for that this week. It's going to have to happen next week. You know, that's not the end of the world sometimes. It's not the end of the world if the laundry overflows for a couple more days. Absolutely. You know what? Exactly. And you might learn that somebody else is really excited to learn how to do laundry because they want clean clothes. Who knows? Unless you only have three of the same outfits, then it might be a problem. That is a very big issue. We should try to avoid that at all costs. (laughs) (laughs) Tied a little bit to that last answer and being on the show, how did the combination of all of that change your perspective on engineering and maybe even how you're tackling your career right now? Well, I've always been a believer that engineers are much more creative than they get credit for. So more than changing the way that I feel about engineering, it was very validating in terms of other people finally seeing, you know, what I have known for a while and what a lot of the, you know, the engineering components of the Baconier people. I mean, when you 
look them up and see what they do. And again, check out their Instagram accounts. I mean, they're all amazing nerds in the best (laughs) ways, you know, and they do crazy things in their spare time. And so it really validated that there are awesome engineers out there that need platforms to storytell and to get, you know, other people aware. And that's one of the, uh, again, these amazing outcomes, you know, doing a podcast like this is, is such an honor. And I was also reached out to by the Engineering Ambassadors Group, and they're doing their first ever conference this year. And if you don't know about that group, they take college students that are in engineering programs and send them out to middle schools and high schools and talk to kids about engineering and engineering mindsets and the different ways that you can use both parts of your brain. And it's a fabulous program. And in my mind, it's one of the you know silver bullets in terms of really moving the needle in terms of diversity and you know filling the pipeline with people that think a little differently and have different experiences. So that's an amazing outcome, you know, of these of this experience for me and these experiences that I've had recently. And I feel like I'm rambling at this point, but the, the point that I'm I'm trying to make is that, you know, engineering is a lot more than just a bunch of nerds that push numbers around in an office by themselves. That's not what engineering is at all. Agreed. It's way more than that. I love the the mission to try and fill our pipeline with more diverse engineers, because I think the show did an amazing job of finding a variety of people, both when you look at them and the things that you learn about them over the course of the show. I think that it really showed anybody can be a baker, anybody can be an engineer. So I love the fact that Rodolfo, a male baker, which I don't think is quite the norm. It's probably not quite as underrepresented as women in engineering. But it was such a a contrast to see so many different groups and so many different types of people. And I really appreciated that the show seemed to put some effort into that. Absolutely. I mean, I think that most of the cast would agree that that's something that we're all really proud of, that that the cast was so diverse. You know, I guess proud is the wrong word. We're proud to be associated with the production. It was exciting to be a part of a diverse cast. I mean, I have a friend now from Sri Lanka who, by the way, Manuka, I'm taking you up on it, has promised to take us to Sri Lanka, you know, and, and I tag along. That. Absolutely. We I love, I love Manuka. You. He was great. We'll do a podcast right from there. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I love that. And, you know, I've got a friend, Shanice and I are becoming great friends and I work in, you know, I, I go back and forth from Denver to Boston and sometimes she's in Denver. And so we get to meet up and things and it's, I don't have a lot of black friends, you know, so It's really exciting to have interfaced with a group in a real way and have this experience that's shared that we can draw from. And I think that Netflix did a great job and the Propagate team did a great job casting a really diverse set of people, both in, you know, in terms of their ethnicities, in terms of their backgrounds, in terms of their ages, in terms of their, you know, genders and sexual orientations. I think they did a really wonderful job. I agree. I was very happy to see that. And it it felt natural. It didn't feel forced. In general, since you've won, since people have started watching the show and learning that you won, what's been the reaction that you've had from friends, family, I'm sure especially your nephews and nieces who were adorable, by the way, when they could finally find out that you won, what was that reaction like? It's I'm smiling right now because it was so wonderful. I mean, I wish that everybody could have that feeling of people kind of saying that they're not shocked, but they are surprised (laughs) that you know, that like, wow, you did that. And, you know, that they believed in me and that they were mostly surprised that I was able to keep the secret as long as I had. (laughs) 
Um, that would but, be so hard. Oh, it's really rough. And I, I'm close with, you know, with my mom and my sister. And it was hard to not to not let the cat out of the bag. But it's been wonderful. I mean, a lot of people have, you know, my friends and family, of course, have all been wonderful. But my like Instagram blew up and like I went from like 300 people to like 2000 people. And like I didn't know what DMs really were. And then I found them and I was like, oh, that's what a DM is. And yeah, some of them are inappropriate. Some of them are lovely. You know, <laughs> I think the most surprising thing was when somebody asked me to do a, a video message for somebody for a Christmas gift. And I oh, was my like, goodness. That's hilarious. Yeah. In the like in the Philippines. And I was like, this is crazy. So it's been humbling in a lot of ways. It's been a lot of fun. And it's also just a little bit mind boggling because, you know, I just never thought it would be something that that would happen to me. And I guess I can also share that when I went to Kentucky to visit Brandy, we went to one of her wildcat games. She'll be really happy. Nice. Wildcats on this. <laughs> uh, Kentucky Frans go blue. And um, she's a bit of a celebrity down there. And as we're walking through the tailgates and we were walked to the stadium twice, we got recognized by kids. Oh, that my were goodness. Like, and Brandy was like, you recognize us from the baking show? And they're like, yes. So it was, <laughs> you know, just the fact that that exists out there is mind blowing, but also it's really cool. And, you know, it, it comes again with this really humbling feeling that, you know, weirdly, I'm a role model now. And it's kind of it's nice that people's lives are impacted in a positive way and that people can see themselves in different lights because of what we did on the show. And that's awesome. But did those kids recognize you not in the same outfit or did you at least wear the same black crisscross shirt? I was not in the same outfit and I'm going to give Brandy the credit. I mean, they really recognized her. And then she's like, <laughs> and do you also know my friend here? And they're like, wow. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to say it's because I cut my hair, but I'm pretty sure it's because she's a bigger celebrity. <laughs> and you forgot to mention the random people that reach out to you on LinkedIn and are like, hey, would you like to do a podcast with me? Random, You person? know, they're out there, too, but I love it. And if other you know, if it's useful for others to do it, let's chat. I think that, you know, social media has a lot of scary, dangerous sides to it, but the ability to connect instantly and to, you know, bring people together is incredible. And, you know, I think it's awesome that you guys reached out. Excellent. I feel grateful hearing you say that. So I appreciate that. One last question for you. Do you have any final advice for our listeners that you would like to share from either your learnings from being on the show, or do you have any advice around some of the things we talked about with regards to diversity in engineering? I think one thing that I would offer as advice, a bunch of, just the other day, I got reached out to also on LinkedIn from a, a student in engineering that was going through a little bit of a mental crisis because he didn't know if he was in his right spot, you know, doing what he was doing right there, but had seen the show and was really inspired and da 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 I think the same kind of advice that I gave him is something I'd put out there that I really do believe that we're always in our right place and wherever we're at, there's something to learn from. And if we pay attention to how we feel about the situation and follow the good feelings, you'll always be where you should be. And I think that's, you know, that's the compass that people are looking for about where should you go? Where should you be? I really think it all has to do with paying attention to the way things make you feel and just trying to find you know, the thing that pulls that passion out of you. But I really don't believe that you can ever be in the wrong spot and that anything's ever out of your uh, out of your hands to to pivot on a little bit, you know, to get into a little bit better position. So I guess that's what I'd say is it's just trust yourself and just what feels right. You had to throw one last pivot in there, didn't you? Of course, I have Ho to. Hopefully Rodolfo's listening and thinking all of those pivots, that's because of me. 
he feels special, I think, in his own right. But yes, I mean, I am throwing them in for him, too. Excellent. Well, Sarah, thank you again so much for taking time to speak with us today. I loved getting to chat with you, not only about the show, which, of course, we've mentioned I'm a huge fan of, clearly a huge fan, love talking about all of the missions with you, but also getting to learn a little bit more about you and especially focusing on persevering through some of the things that we have to, understanding that we don't have to do that laundry today. I'm looking over towards where the laundry is in my head and thinking <laughs> I'm just going to put it off another day. I'm but finally, you a license to do that. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> the final thing you said about you're always in the right place. I think that there's so much truth in that. And even if it feels like we're not, I think we need to change that mindset and understand what we can learn and how we can be better because of it. So I really appreciate those final thoughts you had for us. It's been my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm Dana. For all of us at SWE, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to leave us a review and share this episode with your social network. Thanks for listening.